Hey Conquerors, Mike here, and uh, just want to let you guys know you're in for a great episode today. We had a very special guest on the show for this episode. However, he uh, lives out in Colorado, so we had to Skype him in, and that means that our audio quality maybe isn't up to par with what you've been listening to recently on our show. But Josh and I still think you'll enjoy this episode, and you get a lot out of it. There's some great content in this interview, and we're really excited to uh, present you guys this episode. So, hope you have a good time listening. And without further ado, let's kick off the episode. Oh, tricked you guys on that one. Josh here. Mike does his edits before mine. I realized that he forgot our most valuable resource, our Patreon plug. So if you guys are feeling like you got a bunch of money laying around the house you just don't want, get rid of that terrible money. You can go to patreon.com backslash conquering Columbus and dump all that money off. You'll never have to see it again. And uh, we'd really appreciate it. And now, without further ado, we'll really get into the episode today. We got an astronaut, Mr. Dominic Gorey. You could drop me anywhere on the planet, in any environment, and I might get, you know, my head kicked in in the beginning, but I'll find a way to survive. I'll find a way to get the job done. Yeah, there's a little doubt, but you know what? Once again, I think of that guy in my ear. I think about stepping up to the stage. I think about the challenge. Like, I've lost sometimes, but I've won more than I've lost. And so, like, I bet on me any day. Choosing greatness. Greatness doesn't choose you. You know, you have to choose it. And, yeah, it's hard. I think there was a hunger in me. There was a desire just to make a difference. There was a desire to not just be status quo, a desire to not be average. This is Conquering Columbus. Hey there, Conquerors. And today, you know, really special guest. He spoke to the wrestling team once, and that's how we kind of made the connection. But uh, Captain Gorey, he graduated from the Naval Academy with a Bachelor in Science in Ocean Engineering, and then later earned a Master of Science in Aviation Systems from the University of Tennessee Space Institute. He's been, earned numerous awards in his time in the Navy, including two Distinguished Flying Crosses with a Combat V, the Defense Meritus Service Medal, the NASA Spaceflight Medal three times, and many others. He flew in 38 combat missions in Operation Desert Storm, and he was the pilot of the Space Shuttle missions STS-91 and STS-99, and later the commander of missions STS-108 and STS-123. He's been in the International Space Station, and he spent over 49 days in space, and we're really excited to have him on the show. Welcome to Conquering Columbus, Captain Gorey. Thank you. Enjoy uh, talking to you guys, and I sure enjoyed coming to Ohio State and meet, meeting the uh, pretty incredible wrestling program, so uh, it's always fun to talk to you guys. Um, looking forward to it. So talk a little bit. How did that background start? How did the connection with you and Ohio State Wrestling get, get linked up? Well, I uh, went to high school with a guy who had a clinic down in South Florida, and um, Coach Ryan came down for that, and they were brainstorming and shooting the breeze about uh, the coach's clinic that is annually run up there at Ohio State. And uh, and Mike, my friend, um, suggested to Coach Ryan that there was a guy that he might like to have come up there and, and speak, and, and I was the lucky recipient of that invitation. So... Uh, came up there and became um, pretty good uh, fr- friends with uh, with Tom, and they actually came out last summer with their family and visited us, and I think they're coming here again, again in a couple of weeks. That's awesome. That's awesome. Hey, the funniest part about that story, actually, is that Mike Peterson is known to me as the evil frog, and that was his call sign, and he was actually a backseater for my dad a couple times in the military. My dad flew F-18s just like you actually did for some time, Captain, so... Hey, that's a that's a cool story and just a good connection, but kind of a small world. Thing. Yeah, small world thing going on. But hey, we wanted to jump in first and talk about you know back in the beginning when you first went to the Naval Academy, and so but before any of that, when did you first know you wanted to be in the Navy? Well, I knew I wanted to be a pilot um, from as as long as I can remember. When I was a a little kid, uh, my dad was an Air Force pilot, um, was just transfixed with watching airplanes fly over whenever we went out to the the uh, Air Force bases and that kind of thing. And I thought the airplanes were just incredible and um, had this dream of, of flying one day and uh, and just kept after that. And when it was time to decide where to go to college, 
Um, the Naval Academy had a much better wrestling program than uh, than Air Force. Um, they had a great ma uh, couple majors. They had sailing, and uh, and I was really um, uh, fascinated with flying from aircraft carriers. So that's that's where I went. You know, it's funny uh, that you say that you were fascinated with watching planes because whenever I ask my dad about it, he says the same thing. I get the same answer for most pilots. I was just fascinated. I always wanted to be a pilot. Yeah. And I think that's an interesting uh, similarity between all air, uh, pilots in the military. Yeah, definitely. I think, I, I think when, because it's such a major achievement in life and it's so difficult to get there, I think you really have to have it ingrained in you from a young age because when things get tough, you know, I'm sure they got tough multiple times and you really go through a, a scrutinizing election or like process to get to where they are you know you really got to know this is what i want this is what i've always wanted um, but to kind of switch the question oh. no no go ahead go ahead yeah i think a lot of young guys um and kids are fascinated with flying and and sometimes your eye, people's eyes go bad and sometimes they don't have the the opportunity to go to a school that, that can lead them in that direction but uh for for me and and mike's dad it, it worked out i'm certainly happy yeah, <laughs> So it, it was a real conscious choice at a young age. I mean, I feel like at high school, there's not many people who understand what they want to do that definitively. So you can kind of talk about maybe, do you have do you have any siblings, first of all? I think that's a curious question. I'm one of seven. Okay. So I was was number two in that in that line, um, but uh, yeah, there's a bunch of us. Yeah, and where did your oldest brother go then? Or he, went to, he went to Notre Dame, my older brother. He's a year older and uh, he played rugby at Notre Dame and is an engineer. Um, but uh, I just had this um, desire to, to fly, and, and Naval Academy was the best way to make that happen for me. So you, you show up at the Naval Academy, and you're, you're studying there. Can you talk a little bit about what that time was like and any um, difficulties you faced? Did you live a normal college career at the Naval Academy, or was it, you know, you had to grow up pretty quick? I think anybody that goes to the, the service academy doesn't, does not have a normal college life. Um, you don't have to do your own laundry. You don't have to cook your own food. They give you all the uniforms you're going to wear, <clears throat> and, but the uh, the freedoms that you have are fairly limited, especially in the first couple of years. Um, so there are some things that are easier. You don't have to um, find a lot of uh, fight through a lot of hardships that most college um, students have. But the academics and the rigor of the military programs and leadership programs and the required athletics um, uh, certainly complicate. The life there. Um, I wrestled there for four years, and that was a, a great opportunity to, to get out a little bit more than most um, of the midshipmen at the Naval Academy, especially in the first couple of years. Um, so that was great. But uh, very challenging academics is extremely rigorous, especially if you go into engineering. And anybody that is trying to do both a, a demanding curriculum and a, and a varsity sport at Especially Division One school, it's got their hands full, and you and you have to learn how to manage your time and uh, prioritize and those kinds of things. Absolutely. So, you you mentioned you wrestled for four years. What were there any highlights of your wrestling career that you you, you particularly enjoyed, or what about wrestling drew you to the sport? Well, just at at the Naval Academy, your biggest um, rivalry, of course, is against Army, and and Army had a Pretty good wrestling program, but we never lost to them. And I um, got to wrestle against Army a couple times and uh, and beat the guy, the same guy, a couple times. Um, so uh, that was probably my my biggest or most significant memory was uh, was being victorious in that match. Um, but just being at that kind of level and being in a room with guys that uh, were recruited from around the country, I thought was was unbelievable. It was sort of beyond what I expected I would be doing in, in college. Um, I was a pretty good high school wrestler, but certainly nothing like uh, the normal guy that comes to Ohio State and, and, uh, and puts on that uniform. So kind of an off-the-wall question, something I'm just curious about hearing you talk. When you spent your time at the Navy, a lot of people who reach your level in life, it's funny, they look back and they say, well, yeah, I was classmates with this person, and they went on to did this. Do you have any significant classmates that you went through the Naval Academy with that you look back and they achieved pretty amazing things too that you were pretty close with? Well, I've got several friends that were have become admirals and everybody's starting to retire um, now. I've got uh, several guys that were, I was friends with and I'm friends with now that were in the astronaut program 
with me. I got to fly with a couple guys from my class at the Naval Academy on a couple different space missions. Um, but the most significant thing that I remember and I, and I cherish is, is just the friendships. I mean, when you go through something like that with uh, a group of guys, and they're organized at the, at the Naval Academy in companies, and so you and you have 30 to 35 um, guys in your company, in your class, and you get really close with those guys, and we, I still have some really close friendships from that. That's great. That's all stuff. So you get done at the Naval Academy after your four years. Did you go straight into flight school after that? I did, and and so when you when you graduate halfway, well, right before you graduate, halfway through your senior year, everybody selects what they want um, for their uh, service um, option, and there are a couple hundred pilot slots. And if you are um, in the upper part of your class standing, then you're pretty much guaranteed of getting one of those. Um, and so, as soon as I graduated, I had a couple months to to um, goof off until my um, flight school class started, but went right to Pensacola, started flying, went through the, the pipeline with props and, and then jets and then uh, and got into the aircraft carrier, you know, jet flying business that I was always hoping for. So kind of talk about that daily life from going through that training program. Was it morning to night every single day? Is there free time in a training program like that? What was your... Um, social life like I guess you know can you take us through that experience now you're talking about flight school yeah. uh, when you when you go through flight school it's, it's a very uh, it's not in, in self-indulgent but it's you are doing exactly what you hoped you would be doing um, you get to prepare plenty of um, time for every flight that you have and uh, where the difference between guys that that did well and those that were just um, moving along was I think the preparation that you put into every one of those training events. And when you're enjoying something, certainly as much as I was enjoying it, it didn't seem like work. Um, but uh, there was uh, there was opportunities to um, still stay in shape, um, goof off, go visit and chase my uh, future wife <laughs> around. Um, but the uh, the flight school for me was just an enjoyable time. It was not, it didn't seem to me difficult. And I think that's because what I, I was doing was so enjoyable. And did you have any doubts during that time on, on whether you would make it through? Were there any points where you thought, were you, were you worried about, or did you get passion and you just had fun and you excelled the entire time? Yeah, I never, I never had any big challenges where an instructor came back after a sortie and said, Hey Dom, I don't think you're gonna make it. Um, things were going pretty well, and but I it I wanted to fly a certain airplane, and I wanted to be on aircraft carriers. So there was a a, a drive there, a, a focus to to do as well as you could, so that you could achieve what you wanted to when you when you finished. Um, so there was you're never quite sure how you're doing relative to guys in in other um, jet bases because there's training going on and. In several different places, um, and then when a group graduates, the guy at the top of the class gets his first choice, and then you just start marching down what's available. Um, so if you really want to get what you're hoping for, then you better um, be near the top of the that the class of guys getting their wings that that week. Absolutely. Hey, so what were some of your early missions after you did get your wings? I mean, I know with my dad, he flew a lot of training missions early on, but were there any missions that stand out to you from your, your first few years as a, as a pilot in the Navy? And yeah, From the very beginning, I was flying single-seat jets off of carriers, and, uh, and when you do that, there are, there's nobody else that you can really rely on when, when things start to go a little bit bad. And, and there was certainly a couple times where you know, out in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean, we were a thousand miles from the coast, and uh, we were doing a long-range mission against another carrier. And I had this single-engine airplane that started coming apart. <laughs> and getting back to the ship was not a real clear thing for for about an hour. Um, but the the airplane stayed somewhat together. I had to change to a different, an alternate, you know, 
fuel control um, and uh, was able to land just fine. But that was an early lesson that when you're flying a single seat airplane, you can find yourself in extremis fairly quickly. Um, and that was it was an airplane called an A7, and I transitioned fairly early to F-18s. Uh, and F-18s were just incredible. They, uh, they were so far beyond anything else that the Navy had at that time. And we were, um, with the very first Hornet squadron on the East Coast, you were the sort of the new guys on the block with the best toy, and everybody was jealous. Um, and it was just wonderful flying the F-18. But again, all those training missions um, that we did, even non-deployment, um, were always exciting. And when you land on the ship, it's always exciting. We did some operations with Libya, and we were intercepting a bunch of Russian MiGs that the Libyans were flying, and they also had some Russian pilots in them. Um, those were exciting. And then once, um, you know, a couple of years later, I went to test pilot school. Um, and then after that, uh, did the uh, the Desert Storm cruise, which, which was um, pretty memorable. Very intense couple of months. Can you kind of go into a little bit more detail on that? If you feel comfortable talking about it, kind of what those couple of months were like. So the when we were flying, um, our aircraft carrier was in the Persian Gulf. It was on the Roosevelt, and we were really close to um, Kuwait and Iraq. And so our our missions were flown very regular um, on an hour and a half or two hour cycle as opposed to other carriers that were in the Mediterranean or the Red Sea, and they had to fly six or seven hour sorties. And when you fly those long of missions, you're not flying very many. We were sometimes flying a couple times a day. So it was it was really rigorous and early on, a lot of missions at night. Um, the first you know couple of weeks, there was a lot of uh, fireworks at night, you'd see things coming up from the ground and, and bombs exploding in many different places and um, the uh, the way you approach that was um, was with a lot of there was certainly a lot of trepidation at the beginning about the capabilities of the Iraqis but they proved to be fairly um, inept and, uh, and <laughs> it, after we figured out that they weren't very good at shooting back um, the the stress dropped quite a bit and then it just got to be a business, a couple hours, a couple flights a day maybe, and you'd go in and we were always doing bombing missions, um, strike missions. And, uh, and there, was all, there was different kinds of those, um, different targets and different weapons and that kind of thing. But um, the fortunate thing for us was that we were so superior to the um, Iraqi defenses is that we didn't have um, a whole lot of threat. We, we, there were some airplane losses and that kind of thing, but usually um, the normal missions we were flying, the threat was, was medium to low. But you'd fly sometimes in the middle of the night and get home at two or three or four to the carrier and, uh, and you'd be tired and, and you're then facing the most demanding part of the mission was landing on the ship at night and, uh, and <laughs> that required to refocus and and uh, and get on with it, but there was a couple. There were several weeks of really long hours and not a whole lot of rest. Right, and I'm sure that you learned a lot about yourself and about the things you need to do to achieve greatness in those high pressure situations that you were in and with all those hours you were getting. But do you think that there are any lessons in particular that you applied later on in life, maybe as your time as an astronaut, or that our listeners can take away right now? Uh, certainly that when when you're when you're faced with a situation where somebody's shooting at you um, you very quickly determine what's important in your life um, you have to know um, that you're a, all your your family affairs are in order you have to know what um, you're willing to risk you have that hopefully you've had that thought um, and decision-making process well before you've gotten into that position. But I think when the, the first time you face that kind of threat, that kind of risk, um, you get very quickly realize what is, is important in your life. And that, that comes into play 
many times later in, in life when you make decisions about um, your professions and your life partners and your, you know starting a family and that kind of thing, your priorities, I think once you've been through that kind of situation are um, very clear in your mind. And some, some people decide that, you know, that risk um, is, is too much um, and, they, and they'll change professions. But if, if you feel committed, in this case, to what our stand, country stands for um, and what you're really going on deployment for, um, then I think for me it was a fairly easy choice that hey, this is something that a, a, a profession and a, and a requirement in my job that um, I have been prepared for since went to the Naval Academy. You know early on what is good, what could be asked of you, and uh, um, and it was, and it was asked, and, and there was a bunch of guys that stepped up and. Um, and we were successful. I'm not quite sure, you know, every generation is, is different. I don't think our generation was, is, was as committed and um, motivated and patriotic as you know, World War II, but every single time our country has faced um, a challenge, we've, we've stepped up. And uh, I think it's a pretty powerful statement. And I think that's a huge takeaway is that uh, the ability to know and understand the things that you care about and what you want in life is extremely important for anyone trying to be successful. And you kind of learned all that very quickly in a trial by fire there in uh, the, the Iraq War, the Persian Gulf War. But moving forward, let's talk about, you know, kind of moving towards being an astronaut. And uh, when did you first realize that you wanted to go to space and you wanted to be an astronaut? I, I think I, I remember um, watching the first couple moon missions and uh, was fortunate to be at a, a, a fairly young age, but old enough to know what was a significant event in, in human history. And when I saw that, I thought, good grief, that's, that's unbelievable. But I also put it in the same category as, you know, I was playing Little League at the time, and I also thought it'd be cool to pitch in the World Series. Um, <laughs> sort of put it in the same ca category that there's some things that that are uh, in the realm of possibility for for a, a little boy in a small town, or, and there's some things that are not. Um, so I always thought that's that's way cool, and I would love to do that. But it was not something that I seriously thought was possible for for several years um, after that. Mike's still hoping to make it in the Little World series, and I tell him, I thought, man, you gotta, you're 24, you gotta grow up. He's well, like, you know, I figure I pay somebody like 10 bucks, and I can get a fake uh, birth certificate in there, and I'll make it into the Little League World Series. I'll here, catch but, him in his bedroom uh, throwing fake pitches, and he's got baseball music on, and he's throwing himself <laughs> Cracker Jacks, and it's like. I think if you're on the on the wrestling team at Ohio State, you're sort of in the World Series. <laughs> You've made the big time. <laughs> yeah, that's absolutely true, you know, and so. You know, one thing about the selection process of being an astronaut, it's even more difficult than the selection process at the Naval Academy or the selection process of flight school. So, it, it certainly was. And one of the things I got to do before I left was sit on a, a selection committee. And it was fascinating to see how many unbelievable candidates would apply to an astronaut selection. And every couple of years, at least back when the shuttle was flying, we had, we had uh, an astronaut selection for a new class about every two years. And when that call goes out, there's usually three to four or 5,000 people that will send in an application. And so this committee is formed to screen through all of those and, uh, and assign sort of qualitative and quantitative assessments to every one of those. And then the, the stack just keeps getting smaller and smaller as you try to winnow it down to a a reasonable number of people to interview. And normally we would have about 125, 150 people come in on a week, you know, every week there'd be another 20 folks maybe that would come in and interview. And if you got an interview, you consider yourself extremely fortunate. Um, and when you came in for those, the pressure was unbelievable and it all sort of focused on this, um, one sit down 
interview with this committee of about 20, 15 or 20 people at a long table, scary as all get out. And you'd sit in this in this room knowing what was on the line. The, the rest of the week was involved with, you know, all kinds of medical and psychological tests and probes and profiles and that kind of stuff. Um, but this interview was in, incredibly important, but it was incredibly simple. And all they did every year, it was always the same. They would ask the person sitting at the table um, to sort of talk through their life and whoever was doing the main, the main questioning um, would start them maybe at high school and, and the questions were fairly simple you would ask so tell me about your high school and it was very open-ended um, that person could answer and start talking about their class standing in high school or their SAT scores or they could tell a, a joke about something funny that happened to them in sports or you know some embarrassing thing and what became very clear very quickly was what this person thought was important and when you ask an open-ended question their response sort of leads you to to understand quickly what their priorities are in in life and you walk them through high school and college and their first jobs um, and the real answer that you want to come to is do you want to spend a couple weeks with this person locked in a small spaceship, like a motorhome, and, and nobody's getting out for two weeks? And you want to know, is this somebody I want to spend time with closely, and can I rely on them? And um, it was very evident quickly. Uh, and as we went through training as astronauts, what I sort of determined was most important was that personality. Everybody was technically competent. Everybody was pretty sharp, but what really made the difference in a successful crew and a successful mission was how well the people gelled together. And that was way more important than somebody's IQ or, you know, hand-to-eye skills. It was important to have a group of folks that, that you could rely on to have fun and get the job done. So drawing back on those memories and thinking about yourself and thinking about the other people that you went into space with, are there any key characteristics that you think really made someone um, good at, at gelling like that and, and being a part of that crew? Like, is, is there anything in particular? I mean, you can tell, and Mike and I can see just from meeting you, um, how your personality is really enthusiastic and just it seems very optimistic and, and, and excited about things. Is that how everybody was, or do you think there are some key characteristics of people? With, when you have a couple, you know, hundred people in an office, there's going to be a spectrum of personalities. But I would say the 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 common thread was the the person that was always putting the group um, goals ahead of their individual desires. And we we would take people out on these um, wilderness adventures to assess how they were. And when you take somebody out on a camping trip and put them in a pretty tough scenario, it's easy to, to determine who's going to put their own um, needs ahead of the group. Um, and sometimes you have to do that if it's really crucial. But when you're trying to do a, a group effort like a spacewalk or a robotics on a space station, space shuttle mission, everybody's got to, you got to place the, the mission goals and the group goals ahead of what you're doing. And that was the common thread. Um, I think also when we would run simulations for flights, it was very interesting to watch when mistakes happened. And they always happen. People mess up all the time in a, in a simulation. And how people took responsibility for those. And even like just, even when they, it wasn't somebody's personal fault. They would say that, hey, I'm sorry, I could have prevented that. I could have helped out. And that kind of attitude of, um, trying to take responsibility for uh, things going wrong um, was unbelievably significant. And it got to the point where um, on, on a couple of fights where guys were so uh, eager to um, not let their buddy or their crewmate um, feel bad that they were taking responsibility and trying to help out. And it was 
uh, it was very unique, and it was it was telling about how a mission was going to go um, based on how people were were focused on the group instead of themselves. Absolutely, and you know, I see that connection. I hear that about the seals all the time too. People who excel in the seals put the group before themselves, and I think, especially in the military, you find that that, that virtue and that quality in people of knowing the team's mission comes before your own is, is especially important. And I think it applies well to business, too. Yeah, we're actually going through a book currently. I don't know if you ever read it, um, Mr. Gorey, but it's called Extreme Ownership. It's by two former Navy SEALs, and uh, it's kind of you know it's down to the T what you just said, and it's kind of funny to see that connection at such a high level in two different places because I think the deepest of characters and the strongest of people have the ability to whether they they made a mistake or not know that in the end there was something they could have done to control the outcome and if there was fault you know they feel like it was, it was ultimately their fault and I think that's a huge trait that like, a really cool key takeaway that people can take from this right I think that, yeah anytime whether it's business or military or certainly in the space business it was really important to have good debriefs and discuss things that went well and things that didn't and the, a common thread between uh, all of those kinds of events, whether it's, it can be even an operating room or a multi-seat airplane, you've got to have these debriefs to identify the weaknesses and how to make things better and um, how you approach those yields uh, something great. Um, a team that can function better than you would ever imagine. I always thought flying in a single-seat airplane that uh, I was competent and I could handle everything, but when things really start stacking up and you've got a group of guys that can function together, um, the, the sum of the total is, is, is greater than the individual parts by far. Hey guys, thanks a lot for listening today. We're just going to take a really quick break to support Columbus, Ohio native Lewis Howes, who is bringing an amazing event back to the city September 29th through October 1st, the Summit of Greatness. At this event, Lewis is bringing together some of the most inspiring leaders in the world to speak. But most importantly, the event's designed with the individuals attending in mind and at the forefront to help them get the most out of the weekend. You can listen to Lewis describe it himself at thesummitofgreatness.com. You can also find the itinerary there, the list of speakers, and pick yourself up some tickets. Thanks a lot to Lewis for bringing this back to Columbus. And without further ado, let's get back to the episode. So I have a question that I really wanted to ask, and um, getting into your first space shuttle missions as a pilot. But you're sitting in the shuttle as the countdown begins on your first flight. What's going through your mind? <laughs> well, the... There was a big difference between the first one and the fourth one. You're uh, the first time you fly, you're, you're laying on your back and excited beyond description, not sure what's going to happen, totally focused on not messing up. Um, you've got you've tra- been training for this flight for a, at least a year and uh, really um, nervous about how it's going to be for you in space, how you're physically going to adapt. Um, the challenges of doing your job um, and not em- embarrassing yourself or your crew. And so there was a lot of nervousness of, about that. Um, but as soon as we lifted off, I had this, I still can remember very clearly, the just unbelievable um, power that I was sitting on top of. And, and you know, there's six million pounds of thrust um, shaking you um, and a few moments later a minute later your the shuttle rotates and you can see the curvature of the earth for the first time it was just this non-stop sequence of life-changing um, experiences it was it was powerful and uh, the you know last time I, I flew um, I think each time you fly you get a little more understanding of how many moving parts you're sitting on and you're more aware of the risk. And I remember the fourth time sitting on my back with a minute or two to go as a commander and wondering, why am I here? This is, this is really risky. Um, this is sort of scary. And, and as a commander, you're responsible for the whole mission and that kind of thing. And that makes you a little bit nervous too. But um, as, as soon as lift happens, um, Again, the, I think the emotions were the same. Just unbelievable excitement, nervous about how the flight's going to go, 
Um, and the joy of seeing the earth from that perspective is, is just, it's indescribable. Uh, just a beautiful experience. I'm just glad your crew couldn't hear the thought about why are you here. They might, they might have got a little nervous. <laughs> a little nervous. <laughs> like, well, you're, you're here because of us, yeah. so let's. Uh, we're already well, locked hold in. Hold on a second. <laughs> the countdown already started. Yeah. We're going back. But yeah. That's great stuff. I love hearing that. that. That sort of thing, you know, that's the sort of thing that makes makes kids want to go out and be astronauts. Yeah, they hear that and they say, that's the coolest thing I've ever heard. I want to do that. Yeah, it gives you chills. And it's almost like you would imagine, I would assume it's like all of your goals and all of your dreams that you've had in life and all of that hard work, and the minute you feel the shuttle take off, it's just like it happened. You know, you finally got to where you wanted to be and and achieve that one thing in your mind. I can't imagine anything more satisfying than that in the world. It's so, I guess for, for Mike, it's, it's not too unlike a wrestling match. And you've been focusing on this thing for a long, long time. And you finally are, are out there and there's thousands of people along the causeway in Florida watching this thing. And there's thousands of people in, in control centers and uh, NASA support facilities watching this thing take off. And all of this focus, unfortunately, is, is on the crew. And everybody thinks the astronauts are pulling all this off, but they're really a small part of the whole thing. But there is a lot of focus on the, on the crew. And, and it's like in a wrestling match when you're out there and you're pretty doggone, I was pretty doggone nervous, but as soon as the whistle blows or is in the, in the space business, as soon as the rockets ignite, all that's gone. You're just um, focused on what you've been training to do and all that nervousness and all that thing goes away. Um, and, uh, and space was actually, uh, flying in space was easier than a wrestling match. <laughs> physically but uh emotionally it was pretty it was pretty tough i can't imagine how many times or i can't count how many times i was cutting weight and i asked myself why am i here so i do feel like there are a lot of similarities so so kind of to talk a little bit more about those missions um were there any significant high points throughout your missions any significant hiccups or things that had gone wrong throughout your four times um we Never had anything serious go wrong on those four flights that I was on. Um, there was always little things that would happen on every flight. A computer would break, an alarm would go off at uh, a strange time, and you had to get up and work it. Um, but I, I cleared what I thought was a high point um, on the, the first flight and the, and the last couple was the rendezvous and docking to a, another spaceship. I mean, how, how cool is it to be flying information with another spaceship going five miles a second, and you're doing this ballet choreographed um, approach and rendezvous and docking, and as a commander, you get to fly that, and you're at the controls, and, and that you're actually doing it. But that, I thought, was incredible. And you're, you're looking down, and the whole op operation that you're um, a part of is being by the earth below and you're seeing creation floating by in this glorious um, view that few people get to see and it's desperately trying to pull your attention away from what you're supposed to be focused on um, Tom, but the, the ship you gotta stop looking at <laughs> the sensations are uh, unbelievable and every one of them are uh, are overwhelming the the challenge is sort of to store all of that to record it in your mind um so you can recall it because when you come home it, it's almost um dreamlike that hey what did i really get to do that and see that and participate in it but the rendezvous were awesome and the, and the dockings um, it was really really fun that's awesome i love it and so you know kind of touching on the last missions as your flight as a commander what were some of the lessons from being a commander that you feel could apply to our listeners right now, whether they're a just starting out their own companies like myself, where I just got a job in sales, or you're a sales manager and upper level management guy that that they could take away from your lessons as a commander of the space shuttle and help them now. Yeah, I think early on, and when you're assigned to a crew as a commander, one of the biggest. Um, 
challenges uh, is to is to take the crew that you've been given, the team that you've been assigned with, and put everybody in the right jobs. And you've got to know personalities, you've got to know their skills, you've got to know um, who's uh, aggressive and who's maybe not. And when you make those job assignments, um, you've got to do that well if anything, if it's going to come off successful. And then once you do that, once you've given guys on your crew a, a responsibility, then you truly have to give it to them. You have to let them do what you've asked them to, to do. And you sort of, the commander sort of often becomes a guy that just tries to troubleshoot problems that are keeping people from doing their jobs. And you're trying to make sure everybody's having a great time, um, preparing for the flight, because it's it's like Christmas. It's, you know, you're, the launch is Christmas, but Christmas Eve is pretty cool too. And as you're getting ready for Christmas and that celebration, it's an unbelievably enjoyable time to be training for a space shuttle mission. You, you have to realize how, um, fortunate you are to be in that position um, and enjoy every moment of that. Uh, and that was almost as fun as the mission itself. Um, all of the training and all the preparation that somebody puts into a, a business plan um, is just as important as, as when you make that, make the sale or, you know, you've, you've, the, the business part is, uh, is over. But as a commander, I thought it was a, the most important thing was to make sure everybody's having a great time um, and enjoying themselves and and not overload, get overloaded because there's it's a group of hard charging, um, aggressive people and they everybody wants a significant part of the mission to be assigned to to them and you have to know when people are overloaded. That's um, uh, there's so many sports analogies. Um, you can't put too much responsibility on one guy on the team, it's got to be spread out. And, uh, and I thought that was really cool. And to be responsible for the successful, you know, to, for, to manage and lead this crew, I thought was the most um, rewarding part of my time at, at NASA. How do you think that you were able to excel in being able to tell where people's strong suits are and putting them in the right place and, and knowing who to push and who not to push? Do you, do you feel like there was anything in particular about you that helped you excel in that area? Yeah, I, th I think the uh, the responsibilities that are put on a, a young um, Navy pilot or any young junior officer that's in charge of people, um, you if you're going to do well, you better be in tune with the, the people that are you get to work with and work for you and then who you get to work for. Um, and you have to be able to determine what makes individuals tick. And it's always different. Um, some people need a lot more positive reinforcement than others and, you, and, and vice versa. And you need to know how, each, how those people tick. And the key to that is just is hanging out with them, being friends with them, being in touch with um, what they like and what they don't like. And uh, um, I think that's one of the reasons why long before our space shuttle mission is, is to get to know everyone on the crew. Um, but I thought that was the most important part was knowing the guys on your crew really well and, uh, and, then, um, and then giving them the authority to, to do what you've asked them to do. Absolutely. I think that's a good place to... Uh kind of move towards our kind of ending wrap up but we want to talk a little bit about what you're doing currently you know you actually just got back a little short while ago from Machu Picchu and uh, you've been out climbing mountains and just going after it so you you challenge yourself daily still and you, you said earlier on the phone you were actually out putting putting up some big stone stuff in your yard so, like, you're always active but what pushes you to keep climbing mountains and going out and achieving things still when you've already achieved so much I, th I think because I find that kind of um, endeavor so enjoyable. And if 
in my case, because I like going fishing at high lakes and I like enjoying what Colorado has to offer where we live, you can't really do that if, if you're sitting around watching TV all day. But staying in shape allows you to do things in Colorado, um, even as my hair is turning gray and falling out, that, that uh, I always want to keep doing. Um, we just finished uh, building our house, now we're doing the landscaping, and that's required a lot of physical activity when, when we've sort of done all the work ourselves. But um, I've been working with this combat wounded veterans group that uh, we've done some mountain climbs. We did a big mountain climb in South America, um, went up over 23,000 feet with some guys on prosthetics. Um, just an unbelievable organization that I've been able to work with. And um, I thought, what a great way to um, stay in shape and, uh, and help some guys that have truly given more than they we should have ever asked um, of people in the military. But uh, that's a pretty cool organization I've been working with. And uh, gonna go hiking tomorrow up in the, up to find some high lake and go fishing again. All right, that's great. Sounds awesome. Hey, we'll link. We're, we're going to link that group if it's okay with you, Captain, in our uh, in our show notes so people can donate and contribute if they want to. But um, right, you know, Josh, you got a question for the captain? Yeah. So, any recent adventures besides? I know you just mentioned the one hiking up twenty three thousand feet. Is there anything in particular that really stand out to you that you've done um, since going to space? That's just like you were like, man, this is an extraordinary point in my life. I think I think that trip um, to be able to go with a group and uh, on this significant mountain it's a, it's the tallest mountain outside of the Himalayas and it's down in Argentina um, called Aconcagua um, but climbing that was unbelievable the the difficulty I never thought it would be that hard to breathe and uh, and simple simple task of putting one step in front of the other was was really a, a huge challenge I started hallucinating a little bit because it was getting so thin and um like, that man, was we should have took a rocket up here huh like, it's a stupid yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that was significant and uh and got to go to alaska a couple times with these same group, type of group of guys and do some mountain climbing there um that was pretty significant um but i i think the, the most significant thing is is having a grandbaby We've got a, got a one-year-old granddaughter that uh, is just starting to walk and um, never thought I would enjoy a baby that much. More so, I think, when you have your, than having your own kids, um, when you see your child having a, a child of their own, it's, it's been really, really fun. Congrats. Yeah, congratulations. congratulations. That kind of transitions into one last question that I kind of want to ask before we wrap up. I'm just so curious about, you know, like I asked, the people that you surround yourself with while you're in the Naval Academy, what they achieved. In terms of your family, like what does your wife do and what do your kids do and your brothers these days and um, what kind of professions are they involved in? So my wife was a, a, a swimmer in college and she was an All-American, just a just powerful swimmer. I think she qualified for the Olympic trials when she was 13 years old. So um, she certainly is, is the athlete in our family, but uh, um, here in this small town we're we're in uh, in Salida, she's the swim coach at the high school and also in the, the summer swim team. Um, and our daughter lives in just outside North Carolina. Um, she studied autism as a uh, an undergrad and and uh, doing doctoral work, um, and just had a first baby. So she's um, doing really well. And our and our son went to the Naval Academy. Um, and he's doing um, special ops in the Navy that uh, I can't really tell you about, but you can probably guess what he's doing. And uh, he's doing great. He's my uh, he's my Sherpa. When we go backpacking, um, he's a big, strong guy, and he can carry everything and me. Um, but uh, pretty special young man um, that uh, is doing what he wanted to do, and that's it's why he went to the Naval Academy. So um, he's a really great kid. And... Uh, I think that's it. That's great stuff, Commander. I think that's a good place to kind of end it off unless you got any final questions, Josh. No, I don't. I think that was awesome. and uh, really excited to get the chance to have you on here and talk to you today, Tom, and appreciate your time. Is there any final lessons or things that you want to kind of wrap up the episode with? Uh, it's just it's been a pleasure 
building this relationship with Ohio State and getting to know um, you guys has been great. But uh, just best wishes to everybody that's listening in. Um, I was I've been really fortunate to do what I've been able to do in the the Navy and NASA, and now um, in, in retirement. So um, I don't know. I think the lessons are are there for you know staying focused with what you want to do, having short and long term goals. Um, education is probably the biggest part of that um, because without what I um, was able to get at the Naval Academy and in, in high school, even before that, um, my options would have been fairly limited. But um, I think just enjoying what I was doing was uh, probably the most important thing to make to make sure that it was successful. All right, Conquerors, that's all the time we had with Captain Gorey, and we really appreciate you listening to our podcast, and we hope you enjoyed today's episode. Captain Gorey's an amazing guy, has a lot of great stories. But if you want to like us or share us on Facebook, we really appreciate it. It helps the podcast a lot. And um, big, big one is uh, going to check out patreon.com backslash conquering Columbus. It's where you can go and help us with uh, small monthly donations and allow us to continue to recording our content and interviewing some amazing people from around the city. We appreciate every week you guys tuning in and can't wait to talk to you guys again next week. You could drop me anywhere on the planet in any environment and I might get, you know, my head kicked in in the beginning, but I'll find a way to survive. I'll find a way to get the job done. Yeah, there's a little doubt, but you know what? Once again, I think of that guy in my ear. I think about stepping up to the stage. I think about the challenge. Like, I've lost sometimes, but I've won more than I've lost. And so, like, I bet on me any day. Choosing greatness. Greatness doesn't choose you. You know, you have to choose it. And, you know, it's hard. I think there was a hunger in me. There was a desire just to make a difference. There was a desire to not just be status quo, a desire to not be average. This is Conquering Columbus.